Hi there, David here. This month is a pretty special one on Oh My God, What the Fuck Bible. We've left the comfortable confines of our beauty bar location in New York City, and the recording you're about to hear was made at Limud UK at the University of Warwick in England. Limud is an international organization that organizes Jewish conferences all over the world where Jews get together, present new ideas, and of course, argue with each other. Limud UK is the flagship conference and features thousands of presenters, hundreds of sessions, and this year, oh my god, what the fuck Bible. Enjoy. Previously, in the Bible. All the water in the river turned to blood. Festering, pus dripping, bloody boil. Flowering forth <laughs> on man and animals. A gloomy darkness enveloped all of Mitzrayim for three days. Oh man. Hashem struck all of Mitzrayim's firstborns in the middle of the night. In the middle of that day, Hashem took the sons of Israel out of Mitzrayim in their legion. The sons of Israel rose out of Egypt in battle array. I'll strengthen Paro's heart and he'll chase after them. Hashem drowned Mitzrayim in the sea. For thousands of years, we've been under the impression the Bible was meant to be taken seriously. Finally, a new translation that'll change all that. This is Oh My God, What the Fuck Bible! Yeah, welcome to episode 27 and two-thirds of Oh My God, What the Fuck Bible with me, David Tuckman. I'm coming to you in front of a live audience at Limud Luque! UK, UK, I said Luke last night too. I don't know what's wrong with my tongue. Maybe it's the jet lag. Maybe I'm losing my mind. Um, this has been a really fun day. Well, first I'll describe the show. Each month on this show, a guest joins me, or each day, since we're doing it daily here at Limud, a guest joins me and tries to read as many chapters as possible of my own personal translation of the Old Testament from the original Hebrew while I make fun of it. And tonight we're reading the second piece of the fifth portion of Exodus, known in Hebrew and also in English as Yitro. Today is Monday, December 29th. I think I said that last night, but now I'm very, very confused. Um, I think it's December 29th. Is it December 29th? Can I get confirmation? Okay. And it's a Monday, right? I've been on vacation from work for a week. It's a whole confusing thing. It's the second like, official day of Limud. I went to some really uh, wonderful panels today. Uh, at one panel, um, a very, I guess, British thing happened to me. At one panel, uh, somebody told the audience, or a member of the audience announced that they're a member of UKIP, uh, political party here. See, and that happened. It happened again. <laughs> the audience hissed, which to me was so incredibly rude in the politest way possible. <laughs> like, if it was in America, there would be booze, there would be fucks, there would be go fuck yourself and assholes. But, I like that I'm in this polite place where we revert to like vaudeville routines when something that we don't like happens. So thank you so much for welcoming me. It's been so much fun here. This is my second show in three days. Tomorrow I'm also doing a presentation. Um, in addition to the jet lag, I was having an anxiety dreams last night about not finishing my presentation, about getting up and, and working on it just five minutes before because I haven't finished it yet. I still haven't finished it. That's going to happen tomorrow. But also we're going to do another recording of Oh My God, What the Fuck Bible right here in this room uh, with Rachel Rose Reed, an excellent storyteller. So that's going to be super fun. The next show in New York is going to be January 26th at Beauty Bar on 14th Street, as it always is, with a guest who to be determined. Um, as always, I'd like to thank Juicy, my internet partner, uh, for posting us online every Thursday, at least when there's a new episode. And of course, I'd like to thank Present Tense for making me a 2014 fellow. But let's get to our guests. Are you guys ready for your guest? Yeah. yeah. Uh, please give a warm welcome to a rabbi who has traveled uh, all the way from Kansas City um, to England to live 
uh, from Kansas City to New York to England. We're going to talk all about it. Please give it up for Rabbi Leah Jordan. Thanks, David. You're welcome. I have a bunch of stuff written down here, but, but why don't you introduce yourself to our audience? Um, my name is Leah Jordan. I am 28 years old, for those who can't see me on the podcast. I don't know if that's helpful. Um, I grew up in Kansas City. Um, and for those East Coast and West Coast listeners, yes, there are Jews in Kansas City, and there's a lot to do in Kansas City. In fact, it was rated coolest city in the U.S. by Huffington Post wow. uh, this month. Uh, so check it out. Um, I now live in London. I've lived in London for a little over three years because my now husband is a Londoner, and I really love London. Um, and it's been a great time. And I'm a rabbi uh, for the liberal movement, which is one of the progressive movements in Britain. Uh, what does that mean? What is, what is the liberal movement? So the liberal movement, uh, the UK, I think I'm right in saying, is just the way that the British are eccentric with everything, as you pointed out with the hissing, mm -hmm. are also um, eccentric when it comes to their Jewish movements. They're the only uh, country in the world that has two progressive movements, if not Masorti counting as three, um, at least two progressive movements, liberal and reform. Mm -hmm. And in many ways, they're very, very similar, but they actually have different cultural and historical origins. And so they're different for all intents and purposes. They have different main offices, different staff, and I work at the staff at the main office of the liberal movement. The liberal movement's a little over 100 years old, um, and it comes in some ways out of um, social progressivism in the UK and egalitarianism and a sense of the uh, ethics of the prophets. Very similar in some ways to American reform and in other ways very British. Okay, interesting. What, what, is, what is your role? What's a day look like for you? So if I'm at the office, which is the Montague Center, named after Lily Montague, the founder of liberal Judaism, I'm in town, as they say in Britain, I learned this. Not in the, not in downtown, not like, <laughs> I don't know, in, in, in the city, but in town, even though it's London. So when I'm in town, I'm at the Montague Center, um, and that can look like a pretty typical office job in the sense there's a lot of administrative stuff that I do and a lot of emailing, but I try as most as I can not to be in the office because then when I'm not in the office, I'm doing my job. And what that is is I'm the student and young adult chaplain for liberal Judaism. So I work with basically British Jews between 18 and 30 uh, across the spectrum, but specifically in the progressive world, mm -hmm. um, which is kind of European English for the left end of Judaism. Progressive is a very common term here and not as much in the States, I realize. It's um, growing, but yeah. Yeah, but it still is not as a common. I'll talk about that maybe later um, in like how I identify, because I think that comes sure. up at some point. Well, let's talk about that. How, do you, how would you uh, identify as a Jew if, I had to pin you, if, if you had to pin yourself down? So I think non-denominational and small p progressive, okay. which may be contradictions, but I think that comes out of all the places that I've hung out at. I grew up like kind of in the reform conservative spectrum in the Midwest, very involved Jewish family, and then my two favorite places of Jewish learning and meaning were Bronfman mm -hmm. Youth Fellowships and Yeshivat Hadar. And both of those are pluralist right. and or non-denominational. So a lot of my like love of Judaism comes out of the struggle and like the love that comes out of fighting with each other and also trying to get together with each other, which is why <laughs> very Lidlid long is great. tradition that Judaism yes, has. Yes, exactly. And then also small p progressive in the sense that at the end of the day, I think. Um, mm -hmm that that's where kind of my kishkas, my Jewish instincts lie with my mother's side of the family um, who all are very socially and politically progressive um, and religiously so, I think. I say mothers since, simply because my father's side is all Protestant. Mm -hmm. um, we're so, I'm like, 
I can never remember, fifth or sixth or seventh generation Kansan. He's a Protestant farming family, and he converted before he married my mom. So I have no Jewish um, kind of instincts on that side, though I think that also informs my identity, too. Okay, interesting. Uh, do you want to talk about in what way that does? I think or just in the sense that I remember like growing up and going to shul, and my dad would say two things to me. He would remind me that he's been Jewish longer than me, <laughs> um, which I think is important for converts and for conversion to realize that truth. Um, and he will, uh, you know, God willing, die as a Jew longer than I've ever been a Jew. Um, and that is really kind of special, but at the same time, he came with this outsider's perspective. Mm -hmm. So we'd sit in shul, kind of the way that this like audience looks now in, our, in the pews, and he would point out things in a very loving way that struck him. And they would never have struck my mother and my grandmother on that side mm -hmm. because they were just normal to them. And he would say, isn't that interesting that, you know, for example, everybody kisses each other on the cheeks or on the lips and they don't do that in the waspy Midwest. Or isn't that interesting, you know, that everybody raises their voice a little bit louder. And it's all stuff we've all pointed out about ourselves as a Jewish community, but it definitely made it so that I loved it from the inside, but also saw it from the outside, interesting. I guess. Um, so... Do you, so, like, tell me about your relationship with the Torah. To you, what is the Torah and where did it come from? So, the Torah, to me, is, it starts to become immediately cliche, but it's a, a human search for the divine. Mm -hmm. And I do mean that in the sense that I think it is the work of hundreds of thousands of hands and minds and mouths over hundreds of years, if not thousands of years, who were all thinking of themselves in a similar narrative and deciding that they were in a similar narrative and also trying to create meaning both in a universal sense in the world and also in the very particular kind of sense of us belonging to one sort of covenant with God or tribe or ethnicity. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, it's, um, it's, it's human-based, but it, there is something of the ineffable about it. Okay. And do you believe in God? Yes, I do. I, I actually was just texted this by a friend because I texted him a yesterday. A friend texted, do you believe in God? Yeah, because okay. yesterday I texted him. It's the opposite of sexting. It's very limudi. I Yesterday I texted him and I said, would you ever make Aliyah? Like in the middle of a session, he was in another session. And he said to me when he saw me, he goes, you can't text somebody that in a, you know, on a text. And then, of course, to take the piss, as the British would say, to, you know, make fun. He texted me back today, do you believe in God? Um, so I, I guess I have my answer here. I could sure. tell you what he, I told him. Um, I said, so he just wrote this to me like during dinner, like a little bit before this. He wrote, do you believe in God? And I said, I want to, and sometimes yes, mostly. <laughs> sometimes I think it's just a choice, an attitude toward the world. And in that sense, uh, parenthetically, I am in the tradition of Rabbi Shai Held, one of my favorite teachers, who talks about it being an attitudinal position. I don't think he talks about God belief in exactly that way, but he talks about attitudinal positions to the world, a way of viewing the world. Mm -hmm. And I think there's some of that in me. And then I added to him, my friend, but I do live the existential fear that there is no ultimate meaning in the world, but I also think that there is. Wow. Okay. <laughs> well, what, what, what uh, in the Torah is your favorite story in the Tanakh, if you could pick one. Story. I have a favorite Parsha, but it's not really a story. I, my favorite Parsha is Nitzavim, toward the end of Devarim, at the end of Deuteronomy. Okay. But it's not really a story. Well, what makes it your favorite Parsha? Um, I think it captures um, the paradox of the whole Torah, which is kind of like the bit I'm going to say at the end of this podcast. Okay, so, so save I don't it know. for the Maybe end. Maybe we should save it for the yeah. end. My favorite story, I guess, then, is 
probably Jacob's story, just his whole story. Um, I don't know why, really. I, I think because when I was like eight or nine years old, my favorite Hader teacher, Sunday school teacher, I'm doing British and English translation, he, he had us do like a bait dinner court where we tried Yaakov, we tried Jacob for the sin of having taken Asaph's birthright. Yeah. Um, and I played um, the prosecutor who prosecuted, <laughs> like the Satan who prosecuted Jacob. Um, and I think it really like dropped me into the humanity of that, of that story. And I, I've loved it ever since. And I love um, that this past Shabbat's Parsha, we ended kind of, really it's the story of Joseph going down to Egypt, but then Jacob suddenly comes in and gets his Hineni moment at the very end of his life when he's going down to Mitzrayim to Egypt. And God says, I will be with you going down to Egypt and I will be with you coming up and your son Yosef will close your eyes. And it almost makes me want to cry. And I think the reason it does is because Yaakov had such a terrible life. Not just that life was terrible to him, but that he made life terrible for himself. Yeah. Um, his and, days were short Yeah, his and days were short and terrible, as he tells. Is it Paro? He says that too, yeah. right? Yeah. And so there's a sense that, like, Yaakov has an awful life, but at least he gets to go down to Egypt at the very end, and his beloved son, who's in some ways a... Uh, a uh, reminder of, his, of the love of his life, Rachel, closes his eyes. And I don't know, there's like a lot of pathos to Jacob's story because mm-hmm. he's just a little shit in a lot of ways. He is kind of uh, shit. I'm going to talk <laughs> about the tomorrow at the presentation, actually. And I've, I've, he is not the greatest hero. We're going to get into the reading in just a minute. But before we do, I just wanted to say a little bit something about Limud. There are apparently 1,201 sessions happening at Limud. That's just to give you a sense of the scope of how massive it is. Um, and there are about 30 sessions happening right now. So again, I wanted to thank everybody who's here who chose to be here for this tonight. Are you guys ready to read the Bible? Yeah. All right, let's get into it. This is Torah, a loose translation, book two, names, chapter 44, in which Yisrael has no idea what they're getting into. If you're following along in the normal uh, non-oh-my-god-what-the-fuck Bible version, it's Exodus 19.1 to 19.8. In the third month after leaving Mitzrayim, on this day... Which day? Uh, It doesn't matter. The sons of Yisrael came to the Sinai Desert from Rephidim and camped in the desert by the mountain. Which is a little funny, because if you were here yesterday, you remember that they were already by the mountain. But as they say, there's no uh, first and last in the Torah. So keep going. Moshe rose up to the Elohim, and Yehovah called to him from the mountain. (laughs) So I guess Moshe can fly now. Just another one of his powers. Say this to the house of Yaakov and the sons of Yisrael. Yehovah said, you saw what I did to Mizraim. I bore you on the wings of eagles and brought you to me. Um, Yehovah, I think you're thinking of the Hobbit, but that's cool. So I, I had two thoughts about this. I thought one that, uh, as I think we've said before to each other, David, that definitely Tolkien was thinking of this, which I is think an so. amazing cycle. Um, and it, I, I love that in, in fantasy and Lord of the Rings when somebody's always like deus ex machina, they're like picked up by eagles. It's kind of awesome to realize that it's from our Torah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also wondered if maybe uh, they got confused and Nisharim was those terrible sheruts, those nesher sheruts in Israel that pick you up and then they yell at you the entire time, terrible <laughs> abuse. Maybe that's what's actually that going on. That could be what it is. Yeah. Um, because Yisrael does get pretty abused in the desert. Yeah, exactly. Say this to the house of Yaakov and the sons of Yisrael. Yehovah said, you saw what I did to Mitzrayim. I bore you on the wings of eagles and brought you to me. And now, if you really listen to my voice really and guard to it. my covenant, you'll be my treasure among the nations. Oh, who doesn't want to be a treasure? All the land is mine. Mm-hmm. 
You will be the kingdom of Kohanim and a holy people to me. Highlight quote. That's what you should say to the sons of Yisrael. Okay, cool. Moshe summoned the elders of the nation and put the words Jehovah had commanded before them. We'll do it, the entire nation answered as one. Oh boy, big mistake. That's what got us into this whole mess that we're in right now. <laughs> Moshe brought their answer to Jehovah. Which was pretty extraneous because he knew he was God. This is, that's chapter 44. Uh, this is chapter 45 in which God gives some wacky instructions. Exodus 19.9 to 19.19. Yo, Jehovah said to Moshe. That was in it, I promise. I coming, I'm coming to you in a thicket of cloud so the nation can hear me when I talk to you and believe in you forever. Oh, as though the plagues and the splitting of the sea and the food and all of that wasn't enough. The nation still needs something to believe in. Yeah, they, they seem never to get the point, clearly. No. Moshe told Jehovah what the people said. Go to them, Jehovah said to Moshe. Have them make today and tomorrow holy. Important thing to know, you can just make days holy whenever you want. Also have them wash their clothing. Which means they hadn't washed their clothing in uh, three months. This is all to prepare them for the third day because that's when Jehovah will descend and the entire nation will see him on Mount Sinai. So according to the commentator Rashi, that means that nobody was blind. I don't know if that means that they all gained sight or just nobody was blind, which is statistically improbable, so that's cool. Nice. I guess it's kind of like you receive the Torah in 70 different voices. It's the same thing. Somehow you can receive it you in a lot of ways. You can just see God, even though God, whatever. <laughs> Set a boundary up around the mountain and say, don't you dare go up the mountain or touch its edge. Anyone who touches the mountain will die for sure. This is a very serious velvet rope. I like that because the die for sure is Mot Yumat, mm -hmm. which I think is a callback to the Garden of Eden, which was Mot Tamut, the idea that you will die for sure, for sure, for sure, if you for touch sure. the... For sure, definitely going to die. The Eitz Chaim, right? Yeah. The it doesn't sound like Moses is compensating at all when he says that. Right. If a hand touches it, they'll be stoned or shot. Whichever one you want. It doesn't matter if it's an animal or a man, <laughs> it's going to die. Okay, so they have to make a fence. We got it. When a trumpet is drawn, they can go up to the mountain. Which makes this kind of the starting line for the holiest race ever. Moshe came down the mountain to the nation. He sanctified them, and they washed their clothes. Oh, finally washed their clothes. This was a very stinky nation. Spend three days getting ready. Which is weird, because God said two, but all right, Moshe. Moshe said to the nation, don't go near a lady. Which is weird, because I can understand men not going near a lady, but I don't know what the ladies are supposed to do. I don't know where that came from, uh, by the way. Moshe kind of added it. It's not in what God said. Um, I did a little bit of research, and it's a little gross. Um, excuse me. Uh, they, the point was that uh, semen makes women uh, impure, mm. Mm -hmm. um, but it takes three days for the semen to no longer be impure, so even if it's hanging out there, it doesn't count as semen anymore after three days. So... Um, that's a good way to avoid dry cleaning, I guess. Right, and it's, um, it's the one part of this Parsha that I guess I have to, like, a kind of dark thing to say about it. It's a real denial of female sexuality, right? Yeah. There's like no in, like, inference that the women have to be told. No, the women they... should stay away from the men. It's all about the men staying away from right. the women. Right, and yeah. women you know, have no desire to be with men. So, no, of course yeah, They not. have no agency anyway. So. And it wasn't directed toward them. It's like a sad moment where you realize in some ways that the, the direction, at least that Moshe puts on it, you're right. It's what Moshe adds. Moshe adds it, and it's just to the men. Right. Which is weird because I actually say that um, to the house of Yaakov and the sons of Yisrael, the house of Yaakov is referring to the women and sons of Yisrael is to mm -hmm. the men. Um, but at this point, it's just them. It's not clear who he's talking to. Right. He makes his own drosh, and it's not a good one, maybe. No. No, thank you, Moshe. 
<laughs> on the third day, as morning broke, thunder and lightning struck. So two things. First of all, uh, the Hebrew word for thunder is kolot, which also means voices, which is uh, kind of cool and also kind of creepy. Second of all, uh, the Hebrew word for lightning is barak, which means the U.S. is currently being run by President Lightning Obama, which means we're definitely in the future. But David, you know, right, that Barak is um, a Semitic connection to Kenyan languages to Baruch, right? I so didn't it's know bracha. That. Yeah. Bracha, so it's uh, Blessed Obama. Right. Okay. So Barack Obama is Jewish. Mm-hmm. For all of those who thought he was Muslim. <laughs> He's the first Jewish president. Yeah. That's our, that's our claim on him. Um, and that's true. That's the Semitic link. A heavy gla- cloud covered the mountain. The cornet sound was so powerful, all the nation trembled with fear. Moshe brought the people out of the camp to meet the Elohim. People, this is Elohim. Elohim, meet the people. And they stood tachtit hahar, under the mountain. Uh-huh. So, uh, we, according, under the mountain is a funny phrase. Um, according to the Talmud, uh, Shabbos 88a, uh, Jehovah actually literally ripped the mountain out of the ground and held it over the people, so they were actually underneath the mountain. Uh, threatened to crush them if they didn't accept his law, which, if you ask me, is kind of a manipulative way to give people the law and indicative of not a very great relationship, but that's just me. Right. We're going to return to that. Okay. So hold that annoyance in your head, perhaps. I think the Gemara has it. The entire mountain was smoking because Jehovah had descended on it in fire. It got stressed out, so it took up smoking. Its smoke rose like out of a furnace, and the entire mountain trembled. The cornet's blast grew stronger and stronger. Mm-hmm. And the furnace here, sometimes it's translated as a kiln. And I learned from a, a teacher in Los Angeles that the reason um, that a lot of the time God appears in a kiln, if you remember the, um, the covenant of the pieces, when um, God um, w- like comes through as a kiln to Abraham. And, <laughs> and Abraham goes, ripped apart a bunch of animals exactly. and walked between them. Yeah. Exactly. So that part, the reason that God often appears as a kiln or with kilns is because in the ancient world, we're talking 3,000 years ago, kilns were the height of technology. So it's kind of like if you appeared in Google Glasses to somebody, how super tech that would be. Lasers. Yeah, exactly. That's, a, yeah, that's an even better uh, example of it. So God is really ubi spooky, you know. Awesome. He's able to do a lot of amazing things. God and the president are from the future. Exactly. Moshe spoke and the Elohim responded in thunder. That's chapter 45. Let's hear it for Leah. We got one more for you tonight. Uh, this is chapter 46, in which we dawdle a little. Exodus 19.20 to 19.25. Jehovah came down to Mount Sinai's peak and summoned Moshe. Oh, my God. <laughs> Moshe went up. So isn't the mountain on fire at this point and possibly levitating? I hope Moshe is wearing his asbestos suit. Go down, Jehovah said to Moshe. Um, he just had him come up, but whatever. And warn the people not to break forward to see Jehovah. A lot of them will fall. So supposedly this means they might die, but it also sounds like Jehovah is just really worried about people tripping. Also, the Kohanim who will meet Jehovah must sanctify themselves or Jehovah might tear them apart. (laughs) Jehovah is kind of a jerk. The nation can't climb Mount Sinai, Moshe said to Jehovah, because you warned us. You said, make a boundary around the mountain and sanctify it. By the way, didn't the trumpet already sound like the last page? It's really weird. It kind of means the sanctification things are done. I think Moshe is just trying to get out of going down because he's exhausted of climbing this mountain over and over. Go down, Jehovah said. Come back up with Aharon. Oh, they should get an escalator already. The Kohanim and the nation should not break through to climb up or I might breach them. Okay. 
Moshe went down to the nation and spoke with them. Okay, that's chapter 46. Thank you. That's, uh, that's our reading for tonight. Thank you so much, Leah, for reading. Thank now you. is the time of the show where we come to uh, the Devar Torah. I like to translate that literally, and literally, Devar Torah means Torah words. So, Leah, can you uh, sum up everything that we've read today into uh, just a single word? I guess I would say covenant or brit in the Hebrew. Okay. Would you like to defend that word, or are we going to move on? I think, yeah, a little bit. Um, so the reason I didn't go into that little bit of Gemara that you brought, which was great, David, about um, it being Tahar under the mountain that the people were, is because I think that, that the Talmud has one quite famous thing to say about this Parsha, which is actually really lovely. Um, so I hope that the, us as the Jewish Libud audience might get something out of it too, if it's a Gemara you haven't learned or if you have learned it before, but in a different way, which is that in Shabbos in 88a, is that the... I'm very terrible with numbers. That's what you've got here, right? 88A, yeah. 88A. Um, this quote is droshed, is interpreted, that the people in the middle of this bit we just read are under the mountain or at the foot of. So just in the way that English can work, under the mountain can be literally under something or at the foot of. Tachtitahar, under the mountain in the Hebrew, can work that way. And so the Gemara says, um, what this is, as David says, is that the HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Holy Blessed One, held the mountain over them upside down, imagine an upside down triangle, over the people, and they were tachtitahar, literally under the mountain in this very scary way. And God said, if you accept this Torah, good for you. If you don't, this will be your burial place, which is very spooky. I will literally drop the mountain on you, and presumably you will all die in like a terribly apocalyptic way. Um, and Rav Acha Bar Yaakov says, in the Gemara after hearing this explanation, well, doesn't that furnish a reason for not following the Torah? Which is a great kind of. question, right? Yeah. So he's like, uh, it was given under duress, so why are we all doing it? And so I think there's, it speaks to the kind of fundamental paradox of the Torah, which is why I like Nitzavim as well. I mentioned earlier the Deuteronomy, the one of the last parts you in Deuteronomy, because it also talks in Deuteronomy about the Torah being hamitzvah hazot, this commandment, but then it goes on to say that this commandment, Hamitzvah Hazot, is lo niflethi. It's not baffling to you, and it's not far away from you that you should say, go up into heaven and get it for us. It's in your mouth and in your heart to do it. Mm -hmm. And so there's this paradox, I think, that the Torah acknowledges, which is that simultaneously the Torah is Hamitzvah Hazot, this obligation, I would translate as, this commandment, and also something that you have to voluntarily engage in or be a part of. And so the Gemara goes on to say, after the rightly um, kind of incredulity of Rav Achabar Yaakov, that like, how can we accept this when it was under duress, that later in the book of Esther, the Gemara says, the Jewish people, us, decided to re-accept the Torah at the end there, because there's some verses that imply that we confirmed our kind of covenant with God. And so it's simultaneously, I think the whole Jewish thing together is simultaneously something, and I think you've heard your mother, if, if you have that kind of mother say this, that you can't get out of, <laughs> you know, that it's um, har, the har kigigit, a mountain like a cask over your head. Yeah. And so, but at the same time, the, the Jewish people say, na seven nishma, that we're going to do it. You enter into it somehow willingly. So there's some kind of paradox going on about the nature of the whole thing. Yeah, and we're going to get to, to what the nature of the thing is starting uh, tomorrow. My Torah word is pacing. 
um, which is more of a critique <laughs> yeah. of the pacing yeah. of this story because there's a lot of repetition, a lot of things. I know it's just one chapter technically, it's chapter 19, but it, oh my God, cut to it already. He's been talking about this law since the beginning. Let's just hear it already. Um, I want to hear some of your debater if you're in the audience. We're going to have a conversation here. You can ask some questions of me or of Leah after this, um, but the show is just about to end. So before we do, Leah, do you have any plugs? Or anything you want people to check out online? Yeah, sure. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Leah underscore solo, L-E-A-H underscore solo, S-O-L-O. -O. Is that implying that Leah marries Han Solo? Yes. Okay. <laughs> it is implying that. It is um, a shout out to my 12-year-old self. Um, and also, um, if you're interested and you're in London or around about Britain and you want to get involved in young adult and student things, um, you can email me at leah at liberaljudaism.org. Judaism is the way British people say Judaism. Um, and you can also follow me on Facebook and find out what's going on um, later, which for all the podcast people is going to be too late. There, I'm doing at 1045 in about 15, 20, 30 minutes um, a Sherlock and Midrash session. So it's very geeky, but also very Jewish. And it's me and my husband, Rabbi Benji Stanley, um, doing some fun stuff in a little bit of time for Nicks here. Uh, as always, you can find the podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash omgbible, Twitter at omgwtfbible. There's a Tumblr, the website, omgwtfbible.com. Please listen on Stitcher, iTunes, podcast apps. If you like the show, share it. If you like it, please rate and review it on iTunes. It really helps. Um, I want to thank, as always, uh, first of all, Wendy Chin for making my logo and all of the marketing material. She's back in America. She couldn't make it. She's awesome. I want to thank Lee Mood. Thank you for hosting us tonight. Uh, Abby, you can start clapping right now. Go crazy. You can, I want to thank Abby, Jacoby, Shauna Bolton, Amy Levy. Uh, please give it up for Rabbi Leah Jordan for helping me tonight. Let's hear it for you, our audience, for being here and all the listeners. And be sure to join us in Beauty Bar on Janu January 26th or come tomorrow night because next time in the Bible, God gets serious.